Mother God is a gentle, rhyming children's book that invites us to imagine the feminine qualities of the divine and to see those qualities in ourselves, sort of like we just sang in I Believe. And one of the stanzas of this book goes like this. God is our loving mother. You are made in her image too. God calls you beloved. She is making all things new. So last week, we mentioned that one of the images that's used of God in the scriptures is of a mama bear. And that's not the only feminine image. What we find is a mixture of metaphors. God is called our father. God is referred to as our mother, such as when there's this portrayal of himself, herself, as a mother in labor, as a mother hen gathering chicks under her wing, and as a mama bear. What's fascinating about this book I just quoted is the illustrations that go along with it. These are modern illustrations where it portrays a mother with an insulin pump, a mother nursing her baby next to a book labeled postpartum depression and that type of thing. And what we find is there's the attempt of the author to try to help us to understand this protective, gentle, nurturing side of God. And of course, we believe that about God. And yet, the only way we can understand it sometimes is through metaphor. The direct statements in Scripture of what God is like can be summarized threefold in the New Testament. God is spirit, God is light, and God is love. Other than that, the only way we can understand what God is like is usually through some type of illustration. And in the scripture, you have metaphors, you have similes, and you have personifications where God is seen embodied in something. So today, what I want us to understand is that this whole idea of being a mama bear, a sleuth of people, of support and strength for other people, is to understand how God is being portrayed in the scripture. So last week, we introduced this topic by talking about the protective nature of God. And what I'm going to do this week and next week is finalize several other aspects of it. So if you're to look at this, and don't worry about the scripture references right now, I'll reference those in the midst of the talk. But today, I want us to talk a little bit about correction and education. And then next week, I want to talk a little bit as we uh, finish this series on liberation and celebration. So when I look in the scripture and I see God portrayed through this bear metaphor, what I find is probably what is most dominant in our thinking, that a mama bear, don't cross a mama bear when her cubs are in the area because she's very protective. I mentioned last week that Estes a part of a group across our country and really around the world of being mama bears that are protective of their LGBTQ kids. And what I mentioned is that this group has grown over the last several years because there was a real need to protect those t individuals that have been stigmatized, mostly by conservative churches, that somehow are fearful of the LGBTQ community. And what we said last week is that in the vast majority of conservative uh, churches, even in 
our own day and age is there, are, there is the need for people to stand up and protect individuals that have been stigmatized and perhaps even threatened or hurt in real ways. And so just by way of reminder, last week we said that we are to be a part of this protective community helping each other out. In Isaiah chapter 56, what we found last week is that this community is to be a community of inclusion, not exclusion. And the image of God is that he picks people up and holds them up. Now, when we combine these other four things, correction, education, liberation, and celebration, it kind of rounds out what I want to talk to you for the next few moments about. And that is, what is the mama bear mission? In other words, yes, it's to be protective and nurturing, but are there other sides to that? Well, the first part of it is protection, that place where individuals find safety. In other words, are there safe places in our culture and in our community where individuals who have been shunned by other uh, people can find safety and can find rest? Now, here's a fun fact to know. You know it, when I do a series, I like to look uh, and research some of the things that I'm using. A mama bear provides this protection First, by finding a tree that her cubs can climb. And usually it's a pine tree where that cub can climb up to have a refuge from danger. As you know, that relates to our mission here. That's why we chose the name Shade Tree, to find a place of shade and refuge. Now, what's interesting is they can uh, stay up in that tree, but occasionally they'll come down to the base of the trunk. Mama bear has already kind of prepared the base of the trunk where they can play. But usually these trees are kind of their babysitter when mama goes out to find food. And if mama bear is away, these cubs will often cry out if they sense danger. They might climb back up the tree or they might cry out. And boy, that will bring mama bear running once they hear the cry of the cubs. And so eventually there comes this stage in the life of a cub when they need to be prepared to set out on their own. And that usually occurs about 17 or 18 months later, the mama bear begins to kind of push them out on their own. Now, they need to learn a whole lot of things before they're ready for that, just like our own kids. We raise them, we protect them, we nurture them, and there comes a time when they are old enough that they need to face the uh, world as it is, and to do so successfully, they need correction sometimes that they're going the wrong way. They need education. They need to be liberated. We don't want to be helicopter parents when our kids are in their 20s, you know. Uh, they have to be liberated. And then we celebrate their success in life. And this five-fold mission is a part of not only what parents do for their kids. Remember when we said about the mama bear imagery, it pertains not just to women, it pertains to men too. We might change the metaphor to papa bear, but nonetheless, it's this idea of protecting and then correcting when it's necessary to get on the right track. So I want to talk for a moment about Hosea chapter 13, verse 8. So 
if the first thing is protection, the next thing is correction. And there's this uh, verse that is stated in chapter 13, verse 8, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. Now, because we already have protection in the back of our minds, we think that that verse is directed toward the enemies. I'm coming to... But in the context of Hosea 13, it really is, I'm going to jump on my cubs. <laughs> and I'm going to come upon them to correct them of any foolishness that they might come up against. So to understand that metaphor, you first of all have to understand the context of Hosea. Hosea is a minor prophet. Now, minor does not mean that they're like in the minor leagues of baseball, that they still have to develop before they can play in the big leagues. All that means, really, is they are shorter in length than the major prophets. The major prophets, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah, are lengthy. And the reason that is because they have been added to by editors later and so forth. The minor prophets are just as important and just as powerful, but they're shorter. And because they're shorter, they're called the minor prophets in the English uh, vernacular. And in Hebrew, you'll find that all the prophets are lumped together. But in English, we call them the minor prophets. So what does that mean? So Hosea is ministering at a time when there's a threat. And the threat is the Assyrian Empire, which is to the north and east of them. Very powerful. You're familiar with the Assyrian Empire, probably more so through the book of Jonah, another minor prophet, where God calls Jonah to go and preach the good news to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Well, to understand what is happening, you have to understand that the 12 tribes of Israel, at a point in time, due to overtaxation, split into two different nations. The 10 tribes to the north are called Israel, the two tribes to the south are called Judah. And when you read in the Old Testament Israel, more times than not, it's referring to the 10 tribes of the north. When you read the book of Judah, uh, you see the term Judah, uh, it is pertaining usually to the two tribes to the south. Now, the 10 tribes to the north, they constantly were being caught up in following after other gods, in particular Baal. And what we find is God says, you have not kept the covenant that I have agreed to all the way back to the time of Moses, the Mosaic covenant. You have not lived up to making me the one true God. So what has happened over time is they followed other gods. The religion and the social and political dynamics of the culture went away from what God initially envisioned when he met Moses up on top of Mount Sinai. So in order to get the people back, he uses these prophets to call them. But he uses an unusual way in the life of Hosea. If you were to begin in chapter 1 of Hosea, the story begins like this. God calls Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman. Her name is Gomer. And this woman, we don't know if she was a prostitute, but we do know she was promiscuous, and she left him several times. But what we find is God called uh, to Hosea to marry this woman. They have three kids together, and wouldn't you know it, she takes off again. And she pursues other lovers, 
And then God tells Hosea to bring her back and to forgive her. Now, the image of that is Hosea is a representative of God, and Gomer is representative of Israel, who is followed after other gods. But if you understand the context, then you'll understand this phrase here, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. The first part is a personification. We see God in Hosea, we see Israel in Gomer. But what we find is as you move to the back of the book, as you come to the closing chapters, God is calling upon the nation of Israel to come back to him. And the way he talks about bringing them back is the mama bear image. In other words, I will not stop pursuing you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to continue to try to draw you back to myself. So in Hosea 13.8, what we find in this image is not the attack of a mama bear against uh, a, a dangerous threat, but the idea that mama bear needs to correct these people so that they can be in a good relationship with God. So the context is key here. It means that God will do whatever is necessary to bring these cubs back to a place of safety, to a place of thriving. So sometimes a mama bear will sometimes need to pick a cub up by uh, the neck, by the gruff of the neck, and take that cub to where she wants that cub to go. And I ran across this video here, and I think it is so cute, but that's what this mama bear is doing, trying to get the cubs to the place where they need to go. Let's take a look at it. Isn't that cute? Now, here's the deal. That's us. We're those cubs that are constantly wandering off and God has to come back and put us on the right track just about the time you think that he has, where he has us on the place that we need to be going. We veer off, we turn around, we go back. God has to come back and bring us back again. And I think that's what the book of Hosea is talking about. God is like the mama bear that continues to pick us up and place us on the correct path and sometimes he has to grab us by the gruff of the neck, right? To get us on the right track. So sometimes God has to correct the way we look at life. Sometimes he has to correct our value system. Sometimes he has to correct uh, an appreciation for people who are not like us. Sometimes he needs to correct something that constantly is getting us off track. Now, when we think about what God will go to to get us back on track... Once we get on track, we're still not done. And that brings us to the third element of the Mama Bear mission, and that is education. In the book of Proverbs, there is this constant contrast between wisdom and foolishness. And it's actually personified as well. In the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Wisdom is seen as a lady that is calling out to those who are passing by, come, learn. But foolishness is also seen as a lady that is crying out and tempting people to follow her way. 
Well, when you think about the main theme of the book of Proverbs, all of these little short, pithy statements of wisdom, because that's what a proverb is, it's a collected wisdom over time that has been written down in a memorable form, and sometimes it is stated in such a way that what you find is you remember it. You just you don't forget it, because it's one of those things that is sort of like a catechism, and that's what it was in ancient Israel, a collection of sayings, a collection of wisdom that was part of the catechism for young men in particular. And it's believed by most scholars that the book of Proverbs was to be used to prepare young men as they are going into the royal service of the king. Okay. Now, if that is the case, then these young men need to be cautious of going off on the wrong uh, path. And so in these short, pithy statements of wisdom, you have skill sets that teach you how to live life successfully, or at least skillfully. And what we find is the embodiment of wisdom becomes the agent for the moral coherence of creation as a whole. In other words, if you follow the wisdom path, things will go well in general. If you follow the path of foolishness, things will not go so well in general. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, okay, just like anything in life. So what we find is the creator God, via wisdom, is assuring us that the connection between the choices that we make and the outcomes which follow, which follow are sort of like, using a different metaphor, sowing and reaping. We sow and then we reap. We reap what we sow. So this is not a guarantee that we're going to make good choices. It's just a, a vision that if you follow these words of wisdom, in the end, you will experience shalom. So that is the theme of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is not so much a moral code, but this creative force that allows us to decipher what needs to be done in any given moment. Okay, There is no guarantee that you follow all of these things and life will go seamlessly. No, what we find is that we have to understand what we're dealing with in any given moment and apply the knowledge and the learning that we have. So in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 12, one of the Proverbs says, better to meet a she-bear robbed of its cubs than confront a fool immersed in folly. Now, it's a contrast. You'd be better off confronting a mama bear than following a fool. That's kind of the idea behind the proverb. In other words, you know how protective a mama bear is of her cubs. You would be better off. This is all kind of tongue-in-cheek. Do you understand that, don't you? This is all tongue-in-cheek. It's saying you would be better off confronting a mama bear than you would following the path of a fool who makes dumb decisions and pulls you right into the pit with it, okay? So in the book of Proverbs, foolishness is uh, living against the grain of that moral, uh, moral coherence that wisdom gives us advantage to. So when we live in wisdom, what we have is the opportunity to experience life as God initiated through his creation. Foolishness in the modern world is usually associated with disregarding God, 
just keeping God out of the picture. In other words, I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to do things the way I want to do it. I don't care what God thinks. I'm just going to go about living life my way. And the book of Proverbs would say that is foolish. Okay? Uh, the fear of the Lord, not cringing fear, but the idea of respect, the idea of giving God honor because he's the creator. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end necessarily. We continue to grow. But foolishness and wisdom is these two contrasting qualities that is pretty much baked into every story of the Bible. If you will read the stories that are in the Old Testament, and the majority of the Old Testament is narrative, that is, they are stories, what we find is the contrast between wisdom and foolishness. And so look for that when we study different portions of the scripture. Life is about choices. We can't get away from that. We make good choices, we make bad choices. But if we continue to learn and relearn, it's about making adjustments. Wisdom isn't about finding a quick answer, the three keys to being successful or getting rich or whatever it might be. No, wisdom is not turning to an index and finding the right page so it gives you an answer. It is the learning process that allows us to go through the unpredictable, the unfair, the unjust, and the uncontrollable, and have the qualities needed to figure out what we need to do in the moment. So who is it that prepares us for that kind of life? Well, it's God, the ultimate mama bear, but it's also mama bears, whether they are men or women. Have you ever found that your parents have gotten wiser with age? You look back and you go, oh, now I get it, right? There's some insights that they had to life that we don't have when we're young. Dr. Christiana Northrup has coined the phrase mama bear wisdom. And what she is referring to is when we come up to the moment, we have the education, we have the knowledge, we have the uh, ability to discern what is in front of us and to make a good choice. So what is the good choice? Well, Jesus put it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So as long as we keep seeking the kingdom of God first, as long as that's at the forefront of our thinking, we will be like these cubs. We will get off the trail, but don't fear God's there to bring us back and put us back on the trail. And he is not chastising us for it. That's not the point of Hosea. That's not the point of Proverbs. It's the idea that when we live life in partnership with God, even when we go off, even when we make mistakes, even when we need to relearn something, God is there beside us because ultimately, and this is what we'll talk about next week, and I'm going to show you a video as well next week about this Mama Bears group. And there's a lady by the name of Sarah Cunningham that gives her testimony about finally being freed from all this shame-based and controlling religion in churches. And then she has been set free to celebrate her kids for who they are, whether they are LGBT or not. 
And I think that's a great way to kind of finish off this topic. And that is the liberation that allows us to celebrate our kids for who they are with their gifts, with their shortcomings, with their talents, and with their need of our help when they don't have that ability to do that. So I'm going to invite you guys to come on back up.